0: Hello and welcome to Real Estate Insights, the podcast series from Savills that puts every corner of the property market under the microscope and gets at the real stories behind the property headlines. Today, we're going to be taking a closer look at one of the world's greatest cities, which happens to be sitting at the heart of one of the world's biggest stories. By all accounts and everyone's measure, London is the place to be. And until now, nothing Brexit has been able to throw at it has changed that. So two questions. Why is that? And will it last? I'm Guy Ruddle and joining me are three Savills experts who spend more time studying the London market than is probably healthy. And between them, they cover commercial property, residential property and logistics. Stephen Down heads up the central London investment business. Dominic Grace is head of London residential development. And Bridget Outrim is a director of the National Industrial and Logistics Agency. And she spends a lot of time looking at the challenges of logistics within central London. Welcome to you all. Before we get going, I'm just going to do a little challenge for you, which is the Savile standout stat. You may have heard about this. Mm -hmm. You may not have heard about this. So I'm going to ask you to come up with a a little statistic, something that makes people go, wow, or something like that, at the end of this conversation in 10 or 15 minutes' time. So if you haven't thought of one already, get your thinking caps on. So London. Well, full disclosure to start with, I'm a Londoner. And uh, although there's a lot of moaning about London amongst people I know, It is obvious that this is a city where people want to be, it's happening, it's thriving, it's international, that people want to come and live here and all that sort of stuff. Why is it that sort of a city,
1: Stephen? That's a good question. And when I come across, when I'm I'm travelling overseas, meeting international investors who are investing in London, It's a huge agglomeration of different things. It's the history, it's about the sort of the buzz, it's the theatres, it's everything that it offers culturally as well as from a business point of view. And from a business point of view, of course, it's where we have the centre of our law, the centre of our insurance, accountancy, and the evolution of the city in particular is fascinating, especially in the last four or five years post Uh, the global financial crisis, and seeing the new occupiers that are coming into the city. Amazon, you know, we just sold a building uh, recently, which was let to Deliveroo, and um, a music business that was slap bang in the heart of the city above Cannon Street Station. So we would never have dreamt of of those sort of occupiers in the city of London 20, even 15 years ago. So it's constantly evolving. Is that that your your take as well, Dominic, or, or...?
2: Well, I think it is a number of things, albeit I think that where we are at the moment and given the political backdrop and what's happening in the wider uh, global economy, I think it's prompting a bit of introspection about our place on the world stage and perhaps we're guilty in the real estate sector of we've got rather used to everyone wanting to be in London and perhaps an element of complacency might have crept in. I think as sort of politics unfolds now and we shoot ourselves out perhaps into the middle of the Atlantic more and we're going to have to really fight our corner I think London's going to need to sort of peel its tracksuit off and sort of reinvent itself a bit actually. But it is
0: still you know a city where where people really want to be Bridget. I mean it's you know it's it's the tech centre of, of, of Europe. It, it's got you know, people coming to it all the time. In, in your world, uh, are we a good city logistically? Are we, a, are we a great city? I say we, I probably shouldn't say. Is London a great city logistically and transport and all that sort of stuff?
3: Well, well, London sets a challenge to logistics operators because it's so large and because it's got such a huge population. But I think what's attractive about it really is its diversity of industries. So you've mentioned the tech sector, obviously, but all the other different sectors, the entertainment sector, we've got the film industry here, you know, and there's industrial logistics. And that that sector, the sector I work in, is becoming more and more prevalent. And we've got much more interesting jobs being created in our sector. It's not just the forklift truck drivers we need anymore. Graduates are coming into our sector. And London is the centre of air cargo for example you know Heathrow has the highest number of parcels being delivered into the UK than any other airport so it's the centre for all sorts of reasons so not just commerce um, but obviously logistics too.
2: Is London itself is, is it changing shape? It is massively and uh, well just the sort of shift eastwards that we've seen with development um, it points towards that and Bridget makes a point about the London population and we all know it's growing another million or so Londoners we're told in the next 10-15 years they've got to live somewhere and often forgotten actually is they've got to work somewhere as well. Um, it's putting a strain on every bit of infrastructure, not just transport, which gets um, highlighted a lot. So we've got some big challenges, but I mean, you know, again, perhaps looking um, back in history, uh, we're pretty good at rolling our sleeves up and dealing with these problems. And sort of slightly looping back on my. St- complacency point i made earlier i'm rather looking forward in many ways to the challenges we've got which are very much in the foreground at the moment to really bring everyone together i mean it's a good hippie thing to say but we're going to need to because for us to compete and for london to compete on a global stage which is what it's all about now we're going to have to you know reinvent ourselves on a lot of fronts
0: and is there a is there a sort of tension between well, not personally, between you between you and Stephen, but between... You've noticed. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, boys. You know, we've all had a drink. Okay. Um, between, be, between the residential development and commercial development, it, 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 do they sit
2: comfortably together or are you competing for space? Well, do you know what? Again, if one doesn't want to bang on too much about history, we, you know, where you live and where you work have always been very, very blurred. It's actually really quite recently that planners typically have tried to sort of, you know, bang a huge divide between the two. Right now, mixed use, which is a sort of buzzword that's been washing around for the best part of 20 years, is so relevant now. And in turn, the newer entry word-wise it, or words-wise is placemaking and great recognition now that you just don't want to create dormitories that serve the old mm city of london um now it is absolutely creating places where there's life all day long
3: i'm glad you mentioned mixed use dominic because one of the things i always say is that th- this is new in the industrial sector because Savills has been engaged in massive mixed use developments around london for years and years and it's been the residential led mixed use it's been leisure shops offices all mixed together hotels Anyone but the industrial sector. And that's a particular party that we've never been invited to until the last 18 months or so. So that's really what's changing in London, where the industrial sector has been recognised as being of key importance. And we're now being included in some of these mixed use developments. And But we're having to, to make our presence known and make people who are engaged in developing these understand that they really need us to be there.
1: Mm. I mean, going back to your point, I mean, we, we are running out of central London sites, we have a huge swathe of planning constraints, whether they're listed buildings, we have to recognise the sort of historic fabric of our great city. And then if you think about sort of uh, restrictions on height, particularly in the city of London, in terms of viewing corridors to St Paul's, Uh, There are a number of layers of planning constraints that will mean that the centre of London is really going to be not where you're going to find the the, the future development. You know, we've run out of all the old Second World War bomb sites, for example. We've demolished all those nasty or many of those nasty 1970s and 60s um, office buildings. And uh, the buildings that we're putting up today have a lot more life in them. You know, they'll last longer. The bone structure of these sort of big office buildings – is more sustainable. So we are finding, because of the growing population, as as Dom has mentioned, you know, by 2025, we might have 10 million people here. We are running out of space, and we need to look at greater London for the answers to that constraint against that uh, backdrop of a growing population.
0: Yeah, so because at some point, you take what you've just said, you talk about the population, you talk about the demand, it's the number one, London is the number one uh, destination for investment and uh, uh, money in the, uh, and, and occupancy in the world, right? Well,
1: uh, I yeah. mean, the stats, the, you can't fault the stats. All the, the largest amount of capital flowing around the world is coming to London by so you, a country mile. So, so you've got that. Sorry yeah, to interrupt. You've got yeah. that. You've got
0: your know, Dominic's point about the number of people and homes they need. Bridget's point about... Logistics getting more and more complicated, more and more e-tailing uh, and stuff having to be delivered around the place and, and, and everything. At some point, you know, we talk about London being an amazingly good story. It's still an amazingly good story, despite Brexit, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. At some point, something's got to give, isn't it?
2: Well, in some parts, it, it is starting to you know, become very apparent, let's say, around housing.
3: But where are you going to go, Dominic? This is the thing. I think that the, the perception is that there's lots of industrial land in London that nobody really wants, and then perhaps we can build our residential on there. And the, the truth is that if, if any industrial land came up for sale anywhere in London, there'd be a 20-mile queue of developers wanting to build industrial property there, because with all of the new residential units which are being built, with all of the people coming into work... Um, they, they need to be serviced. You know, we think that new, um, new properties, new residential properties are, are new delivery addresses for our sector. So the more people that are there, the more industrial we need, yeah. not the less. Well, I,
2: I think it raises uh, an issue about our planning system as well, which is still so rooted in yes. the sort of 1950s yeah. nuclear family. And it's a problem because um, as one tries to innovate, and we all work very closely with developers – and one of the great frustrations is that all the innovation or disruption that people talk about often can't happen because our planning system isn't fleet of foot enough to be able to
1: deal uh, with some of these. Yeah, needs. I mean, I, I agree with you. The, the planning is is at the root of this. I mean, and we have issues out there, you know, the retail, the high street. But, you know, we've got multiple, you know, level, layers of high streets across greater London that we can do something with. And there are planning uh, authorities that are, you know, experimenting and looking to try and change things. I mean, even, um, you know, you sound like I I do sound like a polar hat, but the city of London is at the forefront of a lot of this change in terms of, you know, and introducing the logistics, you know, that Bridget's mentioned, you know taking the traffic away from the heart and pedestrianising the streets, the bank, bank station, pedestrianisation and, and everything else. I mean, there are many things that the city of London is actually looking to challenge and change. And I think perhaps as a sort of petri dish for the others, we can look at the city uh, for those examples of how we can change, you know, the community, the working community to sort of work together better. <music>
0: is there a sense in which I mean not Savile specifically but um at which you you three need to work closer together because oh. do we not have to have a more you know more integrated does just probably not have to have to stop being you know it's a office building or yeah. it's residential or
2: it's Guy, you're absolutely right. And it already is happening. And the answer is we, we do increasingly talk uh, and we've all crawled out of our silos because we have to. Our clients are dictating. it. Indeed, the market's dictating it. So it's a new challenge for all of us. Um, and uh, I think we're very well placed. Dara said Savile's a business to deal with this new world.
3: I think the challenge for us is that we recognise that needs to happen. Um, but when, when I go to uh, meetings about um, residential-led developments, for example, what I'm finding is that the architects and the planners who are involved as part of that team – don't really understand the logistics sector. So they're, they're designing buildings which, um, with commercial areas which are suitable for studios or for picture framers or for creative industries. And what they don't understand is that's a very minute part of the market. We, we need space for all of those people, yes, but certainly not all of the space. And the sort of people who really need to be in the town are the likes of Amazon, DHL, DPD, people delivering parcels who want to be as efficient as possible in town and they need their space and that's a completely different use class to the the, the the picture framers, for example.
0: So let's sort of bring all this together and talk about what all these what all this means, what the lessons are for investors and developers in London. So what, what, you know, if if everything that we've said is true, and of course it is because it's on the Savills podcast and we only say stuff that's true, uh, What, Stephen, what does that mean? How does that change the thinking of investors and developers in, in, in London?
1: <clears throat> well, institutional investors, you know, very conservative by nature, and they will look, you know, whether they're from overseas or domestic, they will... Be forgiven for for looking at zone one as the area that they want to invest in and then you start talking about investing in zones two and three you know they start to sort of glaze over or get slightly worried um, I think so there 's an education piece around that I think that the the It has to be driven by our domestic developers. It has to be obviously in partnership with planners. The planners do need to accept this. We need to see how we can regenerate some of these areas of greater London um, that will bring in this international capital. Because, yes, I mean, you know, there's only so many trades that can go on in the core of London to international and national capital. So it's about some of the larger Developers that we know making investment into these outlying areas and then bringing that foreign capital in or domestic capital in.
0: And it is true that, you know, we're not talking London down here. We're talking about the the problems of success. Yes. Indeed. Indeed. Which is a great thing, right? Yeah, fantastic. I'm going to mention the B word, okay? And and I I do it with a certain amount of trepidation, but just quickly does Brexit, whatever that ends up being, individually to each of you, is Brexit a problem or is it something that you can just ignore?
2: We're going to have to make it an opportunity. It, it is what it is. And I think at the moment that the sort of cacophony of noise around it makes it so difficult for people to sort of look beyond. But a lot of the issues we've just been talking about, you know, are things that need to be dealt with over the next half century. But, you know, they're critical. we have to deal with them. One of the problems with Brexit is it's caused all this noise and, the, you know, there's a sort of pile-up of issues that need to be dealt with in, in government and political circles. Sure, the but su- it hasn't caused a problem yet,
0: has it? I mean, in terms of, you know, it's been going on for three years in your market...
2: it's extraordinary how resilient the market has been and, uh, you know, I did Project Fear sort of wind us up? We don't know yet and, you know, that uh, unknown and perhaps also I'm conscious that perhaps us sitting here in the middle of London worrying about London uh sort of worry too much and, and very evidenced by what's happened in Stephen's investment market. A huge number of foreign investors are looking longer term beyond Brexit and perhaps thinking, you know, these guys have, have talked themselves down here. We recognize what a great place it is and we're still prepared to put our money in. And thank God they have.
0: British, in your area of logistics, is a, a threat or an opportunity?
3: Uh, Brexit, definitely an opportunity. I think the logistics sector is more cushioned from many Brexit influence, really, because may- maybe a bank based in central London can threaten to go to Frankfurt. But if you're delivering parcels to central London, you can't move your warehouse to um, another continent. That just that, that just won't happen. So we're very much geographically based. Um, potentially, the threat from Brexit is if the economy uh, is affected and people do less shopping. But more more important by far um, to our sector is the way that people are changing their shopping habits. So it's that structural change. Change in the way that people um, are using the internet for online retailing that has a, had a huge impact on the logistics sector. And since two thousand and sixteen, when Brexit was um, announced, we um, we've just gone from strength to strength in the industrial sector.
1: Does it matter, Stephen, in in, in the, <coughs> the
0: commercial and in the investment into
1: into? In, Central in the London? short term, I mean, you know, I've, I've, particularly in the last few weeks. As that sort of heightened uncertainty is out there, um, we've we've seen investors sort of perhaps sit on the on the fence a little bit more. But at this time of the year, in the first quarter of any year, is usually quite quiet. You know, they're digesting the transactions that were happening last year. So it's too soon to draw any too many conclusions either way. It does depend on the outcome, but I agree with Dom that uh, in the medium to longer term, you know, it. London has it is is a huge draw and I I don't see it really changing things for those investors that want to get into really good quality assets good income streams with a very mature marketplace with great partners great developers so no but I think that in the short term there may be an impact depending upon what the decision what the outcome of this whole negotiation will be maybe Um, it's sorry go on sorry so and on the occupational side the bank's are still incredibly relevant, but we have yet to see you know, any huge movement across to Europe. And our view is we're not going to. We'll comply with the regulations that will be set down as part of that Brexit deal. But I think you'll find that a large proportion of these banks will remain headquartered uh, in, in London. Maybe it's
0: because I'm a Londoner. But I could talk all day about this. Unfortunately, we can't. So, thank you very much for all that. Now, and we set—I set you the challenge earlier. The they're Sav- everyone's sort of sitting up now, as if they've got, <coughs> got, to, got everyone's got to perform. stand standout stat. I didn't give you much warning, so uh, if you've succeeded, then I'm uh, then, then I'll be very impressed. So, who wants to go first? Dom, why don't you go first? With it doesn't have to be a stat actually. It could just be a fact, or it could be anything you like, really.
2: Well, it's a stat that a lot of us know anyway. We need to build at least 66,000 new homes per annum in London. At best, we're doing half that and falling. We must do better. Bridget?
3: Um, Mine's more an interesting fact because I can never remember numbers. Um, But we were talking about the City of London, and actually it's the Corporation of London in the city itself who are setting planning conditions whereby when they're granting consents for new office buildings – they are not going to be allowing any um, internet shopping deliveries to those buildings. And it will stop 360 white vans turning up in one day before Christmas at an office building in the city.
1: Mm. Stephen? It's a little bit, you know, Brexit related, but it's amazing to think that despite all those headwinds, and the global headwinds, but our own particular headwinds, that in the last three years, both in terms of take up and investment. In the last three years, we've seen more take up in investment. in Those last three years than ever, ever before. So, wow. you know, that is for me an absolute indicator of London's ongoing strength and resilience. Amazing, isn't it? Really. Yeah. And that feels like about the right place
0: to draw things to a close on this episode of Real Estate Insights. Thank you all very much for being here. Thank you. And if you would like to become part of the growing band of people who listen avidly to every single episode of Real Estate Insights, then please feel free to subscribe to us using your usual podcast provider. Uh, You can even rate us or review us, which I'm told pushes us up the search rankings, which would be nice, wouldn't it? Thank you very much for listening. See you next time.